Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. The world is telling us all one thing, right? And it's it's not true. Mm. It's just the world is lying and or manipulating us. And comedy gives us a chance to be like, may I, may I give my yeah. rebuttal? Welcome to the Psychology Podcast. Today we welcome Neil Brennan on the show. Neil is a director, writer, actor, and comedian most known for co-creating and co-writing the Comedy Central series Chappelle's Show with Dave Chappelle and cult movie classic Half-Baked. Neil received three Emmy nominations for Chappelle's Show, one for directing and the other two for writing and producing. He has also performed stand-up on Last Call with Carson Daly, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, Lopez Tonight, and Conan. Recently, his comedy special called Blocks was released on Netflix. In this episode, I talked to Neil Brennan about his comedy and upbringing. As early as eight years old, Neil has been interested in comedy for its fairness. He reveals who his early influences were and what it was like working with Dave Chappelle. In this episode, I also gave Neil some impromptu psychological tests to help us both understand more about his unique mind. We also touch on the topics of relationships, mindfulness, cognitive distortions, and neurodiversity. This was a really fun episode. It was great chatting with Neil. I really like his comedy, but I also really like his humanity and his vulnerability. When I watched his Netflix special, I was especially touched by his journey to overcome depression. And I reached out to him because I really wanted to help him. I hope you enjoy this episode. So without further ado, I bring you Neil Brennan. Mr. Neil, how you doing? Good, buddy. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. As you know, I saw your recent Netflix special, Blocks, and was really deeply touched by it. And, you know, I'm like laughing so hard for like three-fourths of it. 
and then you know you get really real you know and the whole sort of tone changed there at the end right and it's like i went from like <laughs> to like holy shit you know like what the fuck i'm a therapist and this is upsetting yeah <laughs> no but i mean talk about you know being able to manipulate your your viewers emotions right like to kind of uh really you know i really empathized for you and so I really appreciate talking to you today, and I, I don't want to just jump into the deep end. I was hoping we could kind of start and, uh, and trace kind of like the development of, of Neil Brennan and go back as early as possible. I know you said at one point that you've kind of felt like an oddball your entire life. Uh, is that as early as you can remember that you've kind of felt that way? I think looking back, I always think I uh, felt like an oddball and felt like this is not a good system. That was always the feeling I had where I was like it born into my family, and I was always kind of like, this doesn't seem to be right. Even I, I have like I have a tiny sample size, and this seems like incorrect somehow. Was this a public school? No, no, I'm not talking about school. I'm talking about my family. Oh, this I'm talking about like being three or four. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. And being like, this doesn't seem like the best way to go about whatever we're trying to do here. So I used to cry like all the time, like, like all, every, they made it, there was a joke like that. I, I had a streak going where I cried every day mm. and then they would like me, they'd go like, we got to make you cry. If we don't, if you didn't, you didn't, Neil, you didn't cry today. We got to make you cry. It was just cold. I'm one of 10 kids. I don't know if that's clear. I was going to bring that up actually. So yeah, let me like, let me lay the pipe. Let me lay, let me lay it out a little bit. My parents were born in 1930. That's my dad. He's one of 13. He had a twin, my dad, and the twin died. And prior to his death, my grandmother was very proud of her twins. And then my dad's twin died. And my grandmother, in true Catholic, Irish Catholic form, said, I'll never be proud of anything again as long as I live. Like, God had punished her. So I think she took it out of my dad, and then he carried that with him. And my mom's mom, my mom was born in 33 to a family of four and her mom died when she was like a toddler and back then there was no they didn't even pretend men could raise kids on their own so my mother and her sisters were all split up and so she kind of came from from that so my parents met and tried to make a go of it and neither of them are from especially as evidenced by C above, what I just said, not from very solid foundations. And I think they were like, well, if we keep having kids, maybe it'll be, it'll get better. <laughs> yeah. And they were Catholic, so they had to keep having kids. And it just was chaos, you know? It was chaos headed by two people who didn't know a ton about how to do it. And I was the youngest. Yeah, so you're the youngest. And I, I have actually been wondering to what extent you felt like you had to, because there's all this psychological research that when you're in a big family like that, you can kind of feel a sense of like, you need to like compete to like, or for attention and things like that. And, and I don't know if that similar feelings you feel in the, the, the comedy field, you know, today, you know, um, stem somewhat from some of those early kind of things. I'm competitive for sure. I mean, I want to be good at my job. I want to be high status. Mm. Like, you know, I think that's, any human being or most human beings. I mean, I have another brother who's a comedian. So a fifth of my family, a fifth of 10 people is our comedians. So 
something there's got to be something there but there's also something about like i don't know we're funny so in terms of like psychologically what am i doing obviously i like the approval i like the attention and but there's also a big part of me that wants comedy to be more of like i want there to be more cohesion and more camaraderie and more of a like we're all in this together kind of thing which i get disappointed when it's not Mm. i don't know if that's a contradiction contradiction exactly but Maybe. And, and also comedy's fair. That's the, the thing I like about comedy is it's like, it's fair. There's not, there's some level of arbitrariness to it, but for the most part, if you have a good premise and you write it well and you perform it well, it's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, you grew up, my father was an alcoholic and uh, that's not fair. It's entirely random and arbitrary. So so that's the that's the that's my that's the thing I like about comedy is it's like this shit's fair. It just it does seem like a lot of comedy is is bound up about being true about not suffering, but maybe like common suffering. Everyone can kind of resonate with something. You just don't tend to find that the best or the most popular comedians are are like that that super positive happiness persona, you know, like um or just like going up on the stage and be like Let's, let's all be happy today. It's not useful. Yeah. That's a separate mm, thing. That's a separate genre. That's that's Hallmark. Mm. You know? Mm. That's not what comedy's for. Comedy is for, like... I mean, people say, like, the job of the comedian. I love when people say the job of the comedian because <laughs> yeah, I've right. been in comedy for 30 years. I've never heard what the job is. The world is telling us all one thing, right? And it's not true. Mm. It's just the world is lying and or manipulating us and comedy gives us a chance to be like may i may i give my rebuttal marriage marriage may i speak quickly or like men and women women can i say something very quickly or religion may do you mind if i you know with all due respect dogs you know, or whatever your thing is. So being optimistic and positive about it is not, not, it wouldn't be, I mean, there is a way to do comedy that's very positive, but it's in some ways it's still negative. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, there's something inherently funnier about like, if I came up and the first thing and I was like, Hey, when I got some news for you, like, we're all not going to be okay. You know, there's something somehow funnier about that than like just coming out. Mark, Mark Maron has one of the greatest, joke I, I can't believe how great a joke it is he said uh he's been doing it recently he said look i don't i don't want to seem negative but i don't think anything's ever gonna get better ever again <laughs> yeah I and mean, there's something funny about that in that context it crush it but he's talking about society he's talking yeah. about like the earth yeah and yeah. it's so broad yeah and and should be like you know, feel people going like, the fuck is wrong with this guy? But it's so true mm. that people have to laugh. No, I hear you. I'd like to just stay on your childhood for a little bit longer because I am a psychologist. So I was wondering, like, what, when were you, when did you first discover you were funny? Like, I remember personally, you know, I was sent to detention a lot because I was just making the kids laugh because, like, I was in special ed and, like, that was, like, my way of acting out. Like, was it, was it a way of acting out for you at all in any way? I, it's always been, an equalizer to me Mm. it's rarely about something else do you know what i mean Mm. it's i it's not like my parents are not getting along so i'm gonna 
take my dick out at dinner. It was never that. It just was never that. It was more about, for me, it was more about like logic and like, wait, it was more just like, if I may, it was always that to me. And, and it was like, because I felt like the system that I was, I found myself in was, was like broken and just like, this is wrong. It was always that it was always like, Hmm. It's the face I make in the in blocks where I'm like, friend of mine calls it Neil Brennan face where it's like, it's like the fuck, but it's always been that. But teachers loved you. Teachers did like me. I mean, when I tried, the problem was I, uh, I wish I could go to school now. Like I read all the time. I'm studious. I'm intelligent and stuff. And like, but I was not then. I just was too disorganized. I think emotionally. Can you give me any examples? Like, do you have memories in your head of being like five, six, seven years old and making everyone laugh around you? Yeah, I remember getting a laugh that was so big. I was embarrassed. Mm. Mm. And I was probably eight. Nine, maybe. Do you remember what the joke was? I just did an impression of somebody Mm. and it was like, it was, it just crushed. So yeah, who are some of your earliest comedic influences? Brian Regan. I've never heard of Brian Regan. I saw Brian Regan like kill. And because my brother's comedian, I got to go to the comedy clubs when I was in high school and I saw Brian Regan at the improv in probably 1988 and killing incredibly funny. I mean, so prior carlin those kinds of guys didn't really they didn't really move me until i was you know in my 20s but bill hicks was really Uh, big for me like i saw him live Mm. i made Chappelle come see him live in 92 Mm. david tell friend of my brothers chris rock really big i mean in terms of i guess i'm like in terms of people who weren't dave so yeah so those would be my early early influences or i guess influence yeah influence is the right word hicks would probably be the number one of those this is great this is amazing is there any other can you think of any other sort of aspects of your oddball being that you think may have contributed to your comedic genius do you like when i when i describe it as comedic genius i think there's no other there's no other way to describe it right um right, let's be honest there's simply no other yeah, word for yeah, it yeah <laughs> I thought I'd flatter your ego a little bit to keep, you know, for the sake yeah, of yeah. the conversation. No, if you didn't see the show, I don't believe that about myself. I just never feel like, huh. In I will say in comedy, I feel like I belong. But there's, you know, but there's always in this show, there's a, an anecdote about people reminding me like, mm, not at the level you think or not at the way you think or not the. And even the thing where I was a writer and all writers thought, oh, you seem like more of a comedian. Comedians are like, you seem like more of a writer. Like there's, it's, it's, uh, I don't have a lot of peers in terms of like the, my arc, the arc of my career. I definitely want to get into that more, especially when I give you like a test as I'm, I'm going to give you a test a little bit later. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. live. I, I guess I'm thinking more oddball in the sense of like the neurodiversity movement. Like, were you ever diagnosed with like ADHD or like, are you on the autism spectrum? Like, no, any, I've yeah. never been diagnosed with anything. I've never been diagnosed with anything. Anything. And no, and P- I mean, depression, obviously, but depression, like yeah. ADHD, I don't think, I don't have a excess of energy. And I've had a lot of people diagnose me over Instagram in the last week. With what? With what? Which I actually kind of think is fun. And funny and you like you reached out this is what the best part about doing a netflix special is all the free treatment <laughs> what have people been diagnosing uh, you with 
ADHD, oh, autism. Hmm. Those are the two big ones. Autism being the number one answer. Gotcha. Okay, I didn't bring those up necessarily because I thought that they applied to you, just to be clear. They, I would be happy if they did. Someone was, I did Joe Rogan three or four months ago, and a lady was like, you have, you are on the spectrum. And I was like, all right. And she goes, take this test. And I passed or whatever. And she's like, you are uh, Asperger's or whatever. And I was like, okay, lady, I'll take it again. Like I, and I passed again. There, I'd be happy. I would be, I'd be totally satisfied if there was a very easy explanation mm. or, and or modality of treatment that I could do to make myself feel differently than how I generally feel happy. Ha like clearly like the whole show is kind of about that. Yeah. No, I understand. I understand. I have some hypotheses, um, but we get that a little bit later into that. So, but I wanted to understand and go back to like, when you first met Chappelle, you were a doorman. Is that right? And you were like 18 years old or something? Yes. I was a doorman. At a, I was going to NYU film school. He was 18. He wow. had moved from DC to New York to be a comedian. And I moved from Philly to, to New York to go to NYU for film school. And, uh, Philly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, hon. Me, me and mine. Um, and we became friends and, and, um, kind of, we would, I, we would just talk about comedy and movies and stuff. And, and, uh, we felt like, uh, or I, certainly I felt like we could, you know, do something good. So then I started writing for other TV shows and then, uh, and I would, he would, we would talk about jokes for his act, like it maybe say this or say that. And then uh, I, and then, and then we wrote that movie Half Baked together like five years later. We were 23. Now, look, I, I loved Half Baked, you know, and yeah, uh, you're the right age to love Half Baked. Thank you. Like, I love it now, right? <laughs> like, I love it. You know, I love it. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I didn't like it gotcha. then, but I feel like I discovered it later in my life. Let me save this. Let me save this for a oh, second. Oh, that's funny. I mean, look, there are, I, here's what I'll say about it there are sequences in Half Baked. That you can watch and go, these guys are maybe going to do a great sketch show. That's cool. That would be my my take on it. So the seeds yeah. of that greatness was was there. In in, in hand. you can see it. Yeah, I think hand. like the the sequence where he goes on a date and there's that the mm. the uh, dollars in the corner, and then I think the stuff with Sir Smoke a lot where Dave's talking to himself. In essence, like that was the day where it was like looking back. Uh, we were very like I played Sir Smoke a lot, and he was himself, and then I was him, and he was Sir Smoke a lot. Like it was just very like no one was there but us. Yeah, I see that. It was just it. You know what I mean? Like I do. It yeah. became, and it was like, and then tipped the footage, and as we were filming it, I was like, I think I know how to cut this as a as like a as a uh, with jump cuts. But I'm aware that it was like a really tough time for you, like when that came out and sort of the initial reception and um, right for like a year or so after it came out. Was that wasn't that a tough time for you? Just a bad, just a rejection, just like a rebuke, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and and a setback career wise, because, you know, it was kind of like you're on your way. And I was kind of like, yeah, sit down. But having said that, I spent a couple of years writing with a guy named Mike Sure, who's a great writer and uh we wrote a couple of movies that didn't get made but it was a fun that was just a fun period for me but you lost touch with Dave for a little bit after half baked right you lost touch with Dave yeah not like well, I didn't have his number oh okay uh, gotcha we gotcha. just kind of like drifted we kind of drifted a little i think there should be a half baked too in that 
they're making it right now actually i just want to say that i want to put that uh, in the universe and i'm really glad to hear it's that it's been made it's I didn't they, know apparently it. they just finished filming i mean did you did you write it all for it you did that you manifested that <laughs> i just manifested that shit just now um wait so did you write you don't even all? believe in manifestation you did it wait now how do you know i don't believe in manifestation because I'm a scientist. Because I don't. I think that goes against your. Yeah, I think it goes against your you ethos. Assume, you assume that goes against my ethos. No, I actually believe a lot in certain uh, karma, uh, Buddhist principles. But anyway, we can. <laughs> that's a whole right. other whole other conversation. But no, that's um, that's amazing. So, what was your contribution to Half Baked Two? Nothing. Literally oh, nothing. nothing. Okay, so you don't even have like a. Yeah. How like nostalgic would that be for like if you had a walk on scene? You know, like Stephen King does in all his movies. I'm in half bake one. I don't know. They just didn't ask. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, I look forward to seeing that. The trauma, loss, and uncertainty of our world have led many of us to ask life's biggest questions, such as who are we? What is our highest purpose? And how do we not only live through, but thrive in the wake of tragedy, division, and challenges to our fundamental way of living? To help us all address these questions, process what this unique time in human history has meant for us personally and collectively, and emerge whole, I've collaborated with my colleague and dear friend, Dr. Jordan Feingold, MD, to bring you our forthcoming book. It's called Choose Growth, a workbook for transcending trauma, fear, and self-doubt. It's a workbook designed to guide you on a journey of committing to growth and the pursuit of self-actualization every day. It's chock full of research from humanistic psychology, positive psychology, developmental psychology, personality psychology, cognitive science, and neuropsychology. So lots of themes that you hear about on this podcast. And it's aimed to help us all integrate the many facets of ourselves and co-create our new normal with a renewed sense of strength, vitality, and hope. Whether you're healing from loss, adapting to the new normal, or simply looking ahead to life's next chapter, Choose Growth will help steer you there to deeper connection to your values, your life vision, and ultimately your most authentic self. Choose Growth will officially hit the shelves September 13th, and you can order your copy or the audiobook in the U.S. now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and all major retailers. If you're in the U.K. and Commonwealth, you can order now at bookshop.org.uk. We truly hope this book helps you grow and thrive and become your best self. Okay, now back to the show. Okay, so you co-created and co-wrote Chappelle's show. Um, some people mislabel that. They call it The Chappelle Show, right? Like, it's Chappelle's show. Mm -hmm. And that was just obviously wildly successful and made a huge cultural... I mean, it's part of the cultural um, consciousness. You know, so much of... So many of those skits and things of that nature. Was it season three? Like, Dave decided he just was going to leave that. What was that like for you personally when that show stopped? You didn't even, I, I believe you weren't even uh, notified that it was going to be, that he was out? Yes, I was not notified. My focus is on you, so I'm curious what that was like for you. That was a very, very, very bad period of my life. Arguably, I wouldn't even say arguably. I would say it was the worst period of my life. Oh. A biggest shock, setback, pain, hmm. confusion, anguish, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, was reliant on somebody who changed their mind. And it was sort of, it was obviously jarring and obviously like the financial stuff, that's whatever, fine. It was more about kind of before it where the, where I kind of got lowballed negotiation wise. And, um, and it just kind of sucked because I felt like I made this big contribution and they manipulated it to where 
they didn't have to pay me and Dave kind of supported them in it and it just sucked. Hmm. I'm really sorry to hear that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just sucks. So yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate it. It in some ways it's not like I didn't it yeah, it just kind of de- I just felt like devalued and and then I would say devalued and then just sort of like basic lifestyle. It was kind of a, like a death in in all honesty. And it was three bad years, I would say, emotionally. Were you mad at Dave? Yeah. Yeah. You know, life is so interesting how we can have these like ups and downs. We can like kind of feel like we're on top of the world and then just like, boom, we're like, we don't feel that way. I mean, that must have been an incredible feeling those those first couple of years, though, when I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, the positive aspect of that. What What was that like to be really on top of the world? I mean, that was the most popular comedy show on tv at the time i believe uh, i was on cable yeah on cable yeah yeah it was i mean the thing i loved about the show and this speaks to that thing of like the camaraderie that i'm seeking and i really love writing with dave mm-hmm. i really love directing it i really loved uh coming to ideas i really loved producing the whole, i love i loved the sort of tiny the absolute control over this thing and not control for like control's sake. Control because like I, because Half Baked had kind of been like, we kind of got mauled because we were so young. We were able to like, once we did Chappelle Show, it was more like, I know what our role on this show needs to be. And it's going to be, we're, it's every fabric, every lens, every cast, it, it's all coming through us. But I also really always felt a uh, very strong connection with Dave creatively from the time we were 18 and it was very fun to just argue and come with ideas and improve or reject and all that stuff uh, going both ways and it came from a very deep i i felt like because dave wasn't that popular i felt a a little responsible because he wrote half eight he asked me to write half eight with him and i feel like inside i think like uh psychologically i feel like i've I fucked that up for him, even though that's not true, but like felt that way. And there was like a anger to it that was great. You know, like that thing of I'm, I'm Davis said in the past, like he's never met someone more obsessed with justice than me and obsessed with fairness. Mm. So it's a really good, it was just a great outlet. You may be on the autism spectrum. Oh, mm. Mm. yeah. Logical. Look, man. Hmm. Let's do it. Because like you're saying some things here, like uh, when you're younger, as early as you can remember, you were kind of uh, you're probably, you know, what I find a lot about uh, people in the autism spectrum, because um, and I love people in the autism spectrum, by the way, I, I, I help a lot of kids who are geniuses. Uh, that's one of my jobs, helping kids. Uh, they're called twice exceptional kids. But something about a lot of them is that they're unintentionally funny because they um, are no bullshit. You know, they really like to yeah. cut all the fat around and they just say they just say what they perceive. And they also can't stand logical inconsistency. This is something that it sounds like when you were really young, that drove you crazy. Yeah. My brain is very organized. Yeah. And if I see a logical inconsistency, I'll be like, what? Yeah. yeah. But no, you, ha- you have no, to call no, no. it out. You said that. Now <laughs> you're saying that. Like right. that is a direct contradiction. And people don't like it. Like that's mm. the thing that people, especially in relationships, 
with women. It's like they mm-hmm. don't. I had a woman say fairly recently, I didn't come here to be consistent. <laughs> and it's like, well, I did. <laughs> but that's funny. That's um, I mean, I, it, you know, it's that's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. No, of course it's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, Human, humans aren't. I mean, that's just not what humans are, you know, and uh, you're kind of. We contain multitudes. I mean, that, yeah. the funny thing about the, that, that aphorism there that it's from a Walt Whitman poem we contain multitudes it sounds like it's this lofty thing he's basically just going it the line before it is like do I contradict myself yeah I contain multitudes you know what I mean like he's like hey what do you gotta do you know what I mean it's one of my favorite quotes it's uh, yeah it's amazing I didn't I didn't realize the line before it until recently oh nice yes that quote opens up my book wire to create actually because we it describes the creative person to a T, you know. So wow, you you actually just opened up the can of worms of uh, relate your relationships, and you also well, you also said like you know people don't like it that I like logical consistency. I, that's another theme, right, about you is that there are a lot of things people don't like from your perception, so you, because you you combine lots of things that usually you don't see all correlated in a, in a single human. Or, or put another way, put another way. In a lot of people, you do things, you do see things correlated. But with you, you break the correlational structure. <laughs> so you'll be vegan, but you're not a big drinker. You'll, you know, try ayahuasca, but weed. You know, like you're like I don't, I stay away from weed. You know, like there, there are lots of these kind yeah. of. I can keep going down the list. You know, is this resonating with you at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. Like I do embody a lot of contradictions in a way that. They're, 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 um, I, I don't want to say they're antisocial, mm. but they're, they're not, they're not like great for social cohesion. I mean, just not drinking is a, not eating meat. One of the impetuses for the show is, um, is that I was in therapy and I was, you know, uh, my therapist, female therapist, and she was like, said something about relationships. I was like, about finding somebody. I was like, listen to me i don't drink i don't really smoke weed i don't eat meat i work at night all of my friends are like super genius hilarious people and and i'm generally disagreeable as a person it's like i just have like that the it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller like my the the pond i can fish in Something that strikes me about you is like you're almost too honest about yourself <laughs> and about uh, things. You, it's almost like a reality matters so much to you that I think you shoot yourself in the foot sometimes by allowing a certain magic and um, illusion, a positive illusion to emerge. And, you know, in relationships, so much of relationships really is having an illusion that you're that's what love is. You know, the love emotion, my colleague, uh, Steven Pinker, says that uh, love is a doomsday device because the emotion of love means that uh, when the hotter person moves in next door, you don't immediately move on to them because you're so in love, you're so irrationally <laughs> uh, building them up on a pedestal because of love that it's it's actually evolved as a doomsday device. That's Steven Pinker's notion in how the mind works. Yeah, I feel like funny. you're like, no, no illusions. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, you know what's interesting is I have no illusions and yet have total dysmorphia about my life and position in the world. 
You do. You really do. Because like you killed it in blocks. And, and I genuinely mean that. I'm not trying to build up your ego, but I, I was dying of laughter. Right. And then and then you're almost like, by the way, stop laughing. I really do suck. Yeah, and, and you didn't say that. You didn't say that. But it's sort of like it was no, no, like, no, but you're not I, wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like you do that in a lot of areas of your life, probably. Yeah. I have a joke that I did with a friend of mine, which is like, my life is amazing. If I could only experience it for one minute, mm-hmm. if I could really like it, like I know how fortunate I am talent wise at this point, like I, I, I make a great living. I've made a great living for a long time. I know the, some of the most important people in the world I have access. I like, there's I have there's so few areas in which I'm not doing well, and yet I somehow my brain is like programmed to look at the negatives. Yeah, I look at I love your I I can't wait to hear these. I have your, hypothesis. Fucking hypothesis. Yes, yes. I think let's just jump into that, and we can return to other great worms like relationships and all that stuff. But there's, the there's dysmorphia a- is a huge thing, dude. The dysmorphia is a huge thing about like it's yeah. like reality distortion yeah. in a negative way. It's like the opposite of the Steve Jobs thing, and it's like I wake up with it. You know, I have a hypothesis and just want to just just throw this out here because it's probably something you've never thought of. Um, so we'll, I'm going to start with a quote by the comedian Greg Giraldo. Do you know who that is? Greg Giraldo. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a buddy of mine. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Hasn't he passed away? Yeah, he's been yeah. he's been dead for a long time. So may he rest in peace. But he said, I feel like I'm the piece of shit at the center of the universe. Now, that's a quote of his, and I noticed that characteristic in a lot of comedians. I feel like with you, yes, there is a neurotic sort of, do you feel like you're kind of broken at your core in a way, on the one hand? Is that true? Like, how do you feel at the core of you? What's at the core of Neil? At my core, I don't think I'm wrong until everyone tells me I'm wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't. I don't, all these points of view, I'm like, why do you drink? Like, why would you do this to your body, to your, like, like, why would society promote this thing that kills, you know, there's 30,000 DUIs a year. There's half of crime is committed when people are drunk. Like the stats are horrible. It ruins your personal health, ruins relationship. Just none of it's good. And people can't stop doing it. I like, am aware of this ruin. It kind of, like was a huge problem in my childhood for my, my dad was an alcoholic. So I think I'm right. Like, well, I, I, everyone's going to agree with me on this. And then they don't. And they go like, no, fuck you. And I'm like, huh, fuck me. Okay. Uh, oh. let's move on to meat. Gotcha. And then I go that, nope, fuck you. We love meat. Okay. Let's go. And I just go down the line to, and then I'm just left by myself. Yeah, I don't think I'm like right in a way that's like amazing and incredible. I just it's more just like what? It's the same basic idea I had with as in in my family, which is like, what? This doesn't seem great. I have a joke. It's or not even a joke. Or it's like, you know what? My favorite part of self-loathing is the self part. <laughs> it's like I. It's similar to the Geraldo thing, like the. Yeah. But I, but at the same time, 
I really, really long for connection with people and not mm-hmm. in a way that's bullshit. Not in a way, right. No, first of all, I totally get that from you. I mean, you like things that are real, meaningful, and you don't like the, the pre- you don't like pretense. You're like the opposite of pretense. You know, I don't I, see. Yeah, I try yeah. to, yes, when, yeah. I'm, when I'm at my best. Yeah, I can see that clearly. But um, I have a test here, and I'm not going to say what this is a test of, but I want to score it first before I tell you what it's a test of. But can I read some items to you? And people at home, try to guess what it's a test of as as we play the game. Yeah, exactly, because it's, it's a construct that I've been studying for 20 years, but many people are not aware of it in the general pop- population, but I think it's very important. So I'm going to read each of these items and just tell me on a scale of one to five, one being not at all, to five being I agree very much with that statement. Okay, I can become entirely absorbed in thinking about my personal affairs, my health, my cares, or my relations to others. Seven, five. Okay, yeah, gotcha. My feelings are easily hurt by ridicule or the slightest remarks of others. Five. I feel that I have enough on my hand without worrying about other people's troubles. Three. You know, be bluntly honest with me about these things. I well, I don't. That's uh, I. I would need like follow ups for that. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like I have like ah. Uh, yeah. Because I, I do. I I I'm very codependent. I can be incredibly codependent. Oh, that's so. Yes, and that's correlated with this construct, by the way. It's correlated with this. I'm wildly okay. codependent. Okay. Wow. Like, okay. This fucking is, wild. We're onto something. We're onto something. Okay. I often interpret the remarks of others in a personal way. Five. Uh huh. Yeah. I easily I easily become wrapped up in my own interests and forget the existence of others. Is that a three? Five. As well? A five. Five. Okay. No, okay. I mean. Okay. 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 The right thing. I, you know, I was editing a video one time and like missed a flight. <laughs> Just I'm in the airport. Yeah. I dislike being with a group unless I know that I am appreciated by at least one of those present. Five. I am jealous of good-looking people. I don't know why that's on the scale. Two. Yeah. Okay. Two. I don't. Two. I don't. I, it's yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. You. You beautiful dummy. Yeah. Yeah. That's like. I don't know why that's on the scale, but it is science on the scientific scale. I tend to feel humiliated when criticized. Five. I wonder why other people aren't more appreciative of my good qualities. Ten. That's pretty deep, deep, right? I'm especially sensitive to success and failure. Five. Um, I have problems that nobody else seems to understand. Five. I mean, this sounds like you were, you've been, you've been tapping my... I know, my uh, this is conversation. A, this is a this is a this is a a, a construct. I don't know studying. what this is a test for, but I have it. Go I, on. I know. <laughs> I know. Okay, you're 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 you're. By the way, you're acing this test so far. <laughs> you're acing this Thank test. Thank you. I try to avoid rejection at all costs. Five. My secret thoughts, feelings, and actions would horrify some of my friends. That might be too dramatic. No, I mean I'll go four. I yeah. It, yeah. I tend to become involved in relationships in which I alternately adore and despise the other person. Four. Even when I am in a group of friends, I often feel very alone and uneasy. Five. I respect. I resent others who have what I lack. That's an interesting one. I don't resent. I, I don't have a ton of resentments with that stuff. I'll go two on that. I, I see that, by the way. I see how amazingly um, incurred, like, supportive you are of your friends who are, you know, like Chris Rock and like Chappelle. I do see that. Yeah, Chris one time said he's like, "You're not competitive with Dave." Mm. 
Cause it's, I don't, there's, I, here's what, here's the caveat. Mm. I'm competitive with Dave ideologically. Mm. Like we used to do a joke where my, my dream for him on his deathbed, his final words to be Neil was right. <laughs> um, like that's, I want that, yeah. but I don't think I'm funnier than him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm funnier than him. We have been in situations where I think I have the funnier idea. But I don't think I'm like this clown. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just to clarify, when you say uh, ideology, like, are, are you talking about like some of his like uh, things he's coming under fire for recently? Like oh, trans no, ideologies. No, no this is gotcha. thirty years ago. I mean, it's thirty. It's a thirty-year argument. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And this is just the last question on the test: um, defeat or disappointment usually shame or anger me, but I try not to show it. Five. Yeah. Um, so you score very high on this scale. Is it covert narcissism? It's covert narcissism. That's right. Um, or, uh, I call it vulnerable narcissism, um, which, that's, um, that's, uh, charitable. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, but the thing is, I don't, I, I've been really trying to work to help people and say, we have, we all have a little bit of this in us. I don't believe in this notion of like, oh, there's the narcissist and I'm not the narcissist, right? Like, you know, like these yeah. are really human characteristics and kind of try to help people with their growth and self-actualization. Because the, it's what's heartbreaking about people who score high on this scale, and I've written papers about this in the scientific community from a clinical perspective. I mean, I can send you my papers if you want to read clinical implications of this. The thing is that it's so strongly correlated with depression, and it's so strongly correlated with, um, with mental low well-being and this is the thing the difference between this and grandiose narcissism narcissism is this is at the hands of the person themselves you know they are causing their own suffering in so many ways and i i well I just, what's the yeah. what's grandiose narcissism who's causing that's that that's like the thumping of the chest um i am the greatest because i'm inherently superior to others that's grandiose right. narcissism vulnerable narcissism is different it's a sort of, of like an entitlement sort of grandiose fantasies that are more have shame like involved with it you know it's like i want to be great but i also kind of feel shameful that i want to be great you know as opposed to like the grandiose narcissist has no problem saying how they want to be great right they're like i'm great <laughs> you know yeah i've been yeah. embarrassed by the positive reaction i've gotten from the blocks i've not been embarrassed by the positive reaction i've been embarrassed by my reaction to the positive reaction which <laughs> I is that. i really like it and it, I really yeah. like it to the point where I'm like, I told a friend of mine, I'm like, I, I'm like a despot in exile. And I finally came back to my country. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I see that. There's like this inner resistance to just owning your awesomeness to be very Oprah. I'm, <laughs> that sounds very Oprah, but I love Oprah. So I'm going to go there for a second. Yeah. You know, there's kind of this like, have you been in a relationship? You know, the the person is like wow, I just adore you, Neil. Like, you're the best. And that you have this immediate reaction to kind of, like, prove that wrong <laughs> in some way. <laughs> oh, that, no. I'm like, I, I'm like, yep. Yeah. Oh, you're like, I am. Yeah, I know right. I'm the best. You get it. You get it. Gotcha. And then if, if somehow something goes wrong, they're like, that illusion is broken in some way where they're like, oh, well, you're not, you know, then shame. You'll feel a lot of shame. Yeah. Or I'll, like, work hard to prove that wrong um yeah yeah 
or I'll work hard to improve myself or I'll like, I'm stay. It's like, I can white knuckle any relationship. Like I can mm. stay in a relationship mm. forever. It's just, gotcha. you know, it's their hard work. Yeah. I don't, I don't like the label covert narcissism. Like I don't, I'm not trying to call you a narcissist, right? That's like, um, again, I really believe there's a humanity underneath all of this. Like all of us want to be loved. All of us want to have belong. All of us want to be accepted. And then some of us, really <laughs> what you know want to be accepted some of us like real you know it's, it's all continuum but i feel right. i believe the inner the inner your inner world like and i had some cbt kind of questions i wanted to ask you as well about your inner world you know and the way you think because maybe if Please. we just, maybe if we could just I dare change, you i dare you yeah yeah me. if we could just change these thought patterns like you'll be i think you'll be so much happier but maybe you might not be as well, funny what's the treatment <laughs> for covert narcissism well there there what's there the is treatment because i, I yeah. I have a joke about narcissists where uh, uh, they have the disease, you have the side effects, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and and it's. I had another joke the other day about narcissism, which is uh, a buddy of mine said it's like having Tourette's, and I said, yeah, it's like having Tourette's, but the only word you yell out is me. That's <laughs> um, uh, so. True. I'm wondering what the what the like. But that's grandiose narcissism. Yes. Like this flavor that you have is, um, is, is it's turned within the, the, the harm is self-harm. The harm is not other harm. You know, that's the, that's the major difference here. You know, um, you are causing yourself so much unnecessary suffering. What am I trying to resolve that, that the grandiose narcissist, it, what's the difference in terms of like the underlying, the presumed underlying cause? Yeah. So usually with this thing is that there's like a feeling of fragility. Um, there's a sort of like an underlying idea that um, you are ultimately fragile. Like you can't ha- somehow handle um, being whole stop rejected. Like fear of rejection is actually a big thing. And uh, well, sometimes I don't want to get too clinical, but vulnerable narcissism is sometimes correlated with borderline personality disorder, for instance. And in the psychological literature. Hmm. Now, that's a more extreme uh, clinical diagnosis where vulnerable narcissism is just a personality trait that people differ on. But th- there's a fear, the fear of rejection is like um, so central to so many of these kinds of things. And shame is so central. And usually it develops as a result of being young and not having, every time you express your needs, a parental figure would um, invalidate those needs. So, if yeah. you're a young baby, that's usually how it develops. That's what we found, you know, is like if you're the, if you're a kid and even just crying and the parents have stopped crying, right? Or you're like, I really want f- yeah. food. And the parent says, you know, well, my needs are more important right now than you wanting food. The child starts to develop shame for normal, healthy motivations. And then when they grow up, when they, if they have like big ambitions in life, they feel shame somehow, you know, for even though they feel like they they want they really do want to be great you know so there's that they they, they kind of this re- residual leftover sort of shame for for being great for fully you know standing out yeah it's a, the conflict of like wanting it and then but at the same time I'd be like ah but it does i mean i didn't do stand up for that for a long time because of that so i was like what a low impulse the same impulse i get when i get these gale force approval and i'm like Oh, I love it. But what a hungry hippo I am for mm. wanting this, mm. you know, mm. but meanwhile, everybody wants approval. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, like, does Chappelle ever, I, I just can't imagine him like, uh, I mean, he gets these critics and I feel no, like there's not shame, a lot of tension. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Instead of shame, he uses that as fuel. He's like, he's like that. My next one, I'm going to like take them on specifically. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So here's some cognitive distortions. Um, I'm going to send you a, a book by my friend, Seth Gillahan that's coming out soon called mindful CBT. I'm just, I'll, I'll just send you that book. Cause Great. it's just, so it'll help you like change your cognitive distortions, but like, I imagine you have black and white thinking, right? So like, I actually have examples for each of these in terms of the way I used to think about women and which was holding me back. So if I get rejected by this woman, I'm a total loser in life. That's so black and white, right? It's like, if the, you know, that's like totally, you're either a loser or you're not, you know what I mean? Is that yep. you have black and white thinking? catastrophizing. Yeah, I mean, certainly for 45 minutes, it's a referendum. If she doesn't like you, it, if that girl doesn't like you, it's because there's something inherent in you that no woman will like. Exactly. Um, the other one is uh, catastrophizing. Yeah, it's a form of catastrophizing, and it's I'm a huge catastrophizer anyway, but but yeah, Larry David used to do a, and it's not, a, it's a joke, it's a funny anecdote, but I think it's a based on true thing, which is he used to be a cab driver, a taxi driver in New York. And he's like, when I didn't have a fare, I just thought I'm never getting another fare again for as long as I live. <laughs> no, um, it's, no, it's like, I'll teach a class at, you know, uh, uh, I'm a professor. I'll teach a class and like, I'll have like 99% positive comments. And if one student's like, he thinks he's a lot funnier than he really is. I'd be like, I'm never telling a joke ever again in my life in class. Well, yeah, fine. Then I want, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I said that the other yeah. day. Yeah, it's like one student, right? Yeah, no, I totally get it. But minimizing, do you undervalue positive events um, when they happen? Yeah, I will minimize. I will, it's like, yeah, but, I'll yeah, but it, I'll contextualize it in the bigger picture, all that stuff, for sure. Or, or, or that's an aberration, like, well, I did that well, but. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, false sense of hopelessness, you know. like being like, oh, well, there's no point in approaching her anyway. I'll probably just come across as shady. You know, that that, that that's just an example of like uh, just this false sense of hopelessness. Yeah. yeah. Personalizing, um, attributing the outcome of a situation is solely the result of one's actions or behaviors. Um, she said she has a girlfriend. She must be saying that because she really is not interested in me. and was probably repulsed by me, you know, kind of like personalizing someone's response. Yeah, I will have, you know, when my agents are they'll be like do you want to try to do that i'm like he hates me don't bother <laughs> yeah, yeah. i saw him at, at i saw him at chipotle he was weird and they have to go like wait what now is this a real or are you just a man i'm like i don't know i'm just telling you i'm almost always right about these things i will say i am generally right about my suspicions of like he doesn't respect me and i can just you know tell shooting thinking the way we want things to turn out is how they ought to have turned out um th this person should have liked me it seems so meant to be i mean i that's it's so core it's not even it's in the hardware it's not even software it's like i was saying last night that that to a friend of mine like i was explaining something i was like it's so fundamentally unfair that i can't she's like why do you think things are gonna be fair and i was like right because right. they're supposed to be fair like what's the point of anything if it's not going to be fair or, or if people don't have a code or like what are we friends for if you're not going to do x she's like you just have to look past that stuff and i'm like look past it to what 
or when people say we need to like get beyond this it's like yeah but if we get beyond it you still did that and i know that you did that so what's the purpose what are we getting beyond it to a shittier shallower relationship oh my gosh i wonder if we did like have treatment for this if you would be less funny i really am deeply uh curious the extent to which these things are bound up i mean again it's so like i said it's so in the in my in some some ways my jokes are a distortion but most of my jokes are just a logic test in some ways in a lot of ways or like a very good metaphor which is a form of logic. Um, I was reading some of the comments um, uh, on Twitter about your show and people were writing, they thought it was uh, brilliant and they, they loved it because of its realness and its, um, its authenticity. So let's not, de- let's make sure we're not denigrating the, 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 that aspect of what makes, makes it awesome. I think I'm good. Like you're very good. Yeah. You, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but as a covert narcissist, you know how I feel about it. <laughs> I don't buy that thing of like, if you get healthy, you'll be less funny. I don't buy that. Yeah. Because cool. I've gotten healthier and funnier. Good. Um, well, just a couple more, because I think we basically know you have this heart. Jumping to conclusions, feeling certain of the meaning of a situation, despite little evidence to support that conclusion. Like I call shit. that being yeah. a white man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I call that, I used to do a bit with Dave called late arriving instant expert mm. where I, I can walk up to, it's like being a white man. It's almost like being a doctor where like, I, I think I know what's happening. I'm a white man. You're exactly. doing it. And it's just like, okay. I wanted to do a thing where I went to like CVS and just told the employees they could go on break and see if they did it. Mm. Just as like, Hey, I'm a white man. You can go on break. And then be like, oh, all right. And then they just go and break. <laughs> I've never thought of it through that lens, through a racial lens. But that's really interesting. You got to. <laughs> that's, really that's, where the, that's where the good stuff is. That's where the good stuff is. Okay, for, how about the last one for this? Because uh, I have a longer list, but I'm going to send you this book. So we don't need to do a f- complete treatment <laughs> in this hour. But um, the last one I have here is... Um, I feel like maybe this is this is a real source of a lot of your unhappiness. Is that's it's called outsourcing happiness. So making outside factors the ultimate arbiter of our happiness. Like I can't be happy in life unless I dot 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 until X. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that's a huge. I'd argue that's a huge problem for every everybody, and oh, totally. it's kind of the basis of capitalism. Mm. But that's true. That's true. Consumer but, capitalism, consumer yeah. capitalism, yeah, yeah, consumer society, sure. However, whatever, whatever clinical terms you want to put on. <laughs> so yeah, like I definitely have have had to recalibrate. It's very hard to to make it manifest deeply, but you know, going like I hope that I become a well known comedian because I think then I'll be happy. Mm. So I'm doing comedy to be happy, and I was like, you know, there's a there's a step in here you could just omit and you could just be happy. You know what I mean? That's the point I want to make. Or here. I won't yeah. be happy unless I accomplish X. And it's like, or again, just be happy. Do you practice mindfulness at all? Make the decision to be happy, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you meditate at all? Yeah, I do. And as I was saying that, I like as a reminder, like I haven't in a couple of days and it's like, you know, there's a lot of value to it. And I know there is, I, physically feel better in my body after so what have you tried you talk about this in your in your uh you know you've tried some you've tried some drugs yeah i've tried 
Zoloft, Zoloft, Modafinil, Prozac didn't like. What's the one begins with an M, I think. I've tried probably five medications, five or six. Uh, some worked, some didn't. Um, some worked and expired. Some, some I took and then I felt like I didn't need it anymore. I take beta blockers now when I'm going to do mm. a big stand-up show. Yeah. And I find them really helpful. Like, I, they don't take, there seems to be no downside and all upside. Because I was getting panic attacks at one point before I went on, or while I was on stage. Pretty great. I've done EMDR, which I found helpful in a way that I couldn't quite put my finger on. But, like, the irony is I've tried somatic therapy. The irony is when I did EMDR, my I, like, trusted the therapist so much that it brought out somatic sort of there's a cut to me in the special where i say like i tried therapy and like my shoulders like fucking like sort of pulsating Mm. that's because it it was like a somatic expression because i trusted the therapist ketamine didn't like ketamine i know people that really like it it just i just didn't like it did it five times i think and then TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation, which I liked a lot. And then I did a Chinese one, that's, which I also liked in terms of the output. Are you aware of what exactly part of the brain they turned down the uh, electricity on, so to speak? Like, do you know what they targeted? I think they activated the electricity in this area, whatever, like... Okay, so your left... longitude must, and that latitude? Yeah, that's what's most correlated with happiness. Yeah, your left prefrontal cortex. Yeah. 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 And then ayahuasca, I mm, did. What was that like? And you saw God. Ayahuasca was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I was an atheist before, and my fourth ayahuasca, I was like, oh, okay, I believe in God now. Uh, sorry, not even fourth, third, third ceremony. I believed in God. By the ninth ceremony, I was sort of like doing weird bodily motions that I wasn't in char- in control of. Mm. I don't think it's somatic. It's like I don't want to say spirit based but that's my suspicion i have really beautiful experience hard make no mistake very difficult some really bad experiences but in the aggregate really amazing and then and i talked about this in the special in in blocks on netflix um 5meo dmt bufo alvarius too far too much strong uh took me five months to recover had a reactivation a week after i did it that lasted five months and was i was drowning on incomprehensibility my mind was drowning you don't want that the when i when i did it i had the michael pollan experience that he did it and had the same experience he said it was the only one of the plant medicines he did that he couldn't figure out the value of or get anything i in some ways i agree with him but i but he went to a place that he referred to as before the big bang which is exactly where i went i was in a land before it wasn't a land i was in a consciousness before time i didn't know anything i didn't know direction i didn't know breathing i didn't know sight i didn't know before time itself yeah yeah. Mm. I did I felt like I formed the first synapse 
Wow. Not in human history, but just like I, I remember going like it was such a crazy experience. It's hard to even talk about. I couldn't talk about it because it was so traumatizing for a few months. But now I find it. It's hard to explain because there's contradictions within it. Hmm. Meaning like where it's like I formed the first synapse, but it's like, but how do you remember that? And, you know, like, what do you mean you formed it? You clearly I remember thinking God's I remember hearing or experiencing like God's not here yet. Wow. Stuff like, you know, insane realm. How does this stuff An affect insane your realm. well-being on here on Earth? Knowing that I'm a part of a bigger thing is helpful. It makes life... I mean, in some ways, it might help the the the, the covert... The, what do you call it? Generous narcissism? Vulner, uh, wonderful narcissism. narcissism. Vulnerable narcissism. Uh, yeah, it may help that in that it makes things less important. Makes things less like do or die, not unimportant. Not it's not nihilism, but it's certainly a lot of perspective, and that's helpful, really helpful. And I'll say that I'm my brain is different. The way I comprehend because of DMT and ayahuasca, my brain is different, which is a huge, a huge thing. Now. I wouldn't do it again if you offered me $1 billion with a B. Wouldn't do it again. Wouldn't, like, no, thank you. I cannot endure that. I, the thing I went through for five months, I cannot endure. I've done ayahuasca. I did ayahuasca two weeks ago. But the 5-MeO DMT, Never again. I cannot personally endure. Um, but it was very helpful. Wow. Well, I love that. I love that idea that it really helped you, yeah, be part of something larger. Yeah, than even humans. I remember saying in therapy and talk therapy, like, this is in my body. I can talk about this endlessly. It's in me. And ayahuasca and DMT went into it, like got into it. Like it the it like rearranged some of the stuff. And that's huge. That is huge. That is huge. Maybe it even helped you uh, damper, put a damper on some of these cognitive distortions that are so prevalent in your head. Yeah, I think that they reduced them for sure. They made them less. They made them less um, potent. Potent. Yeah. They're they're certainly there, and they're certainly like the headline, but they're not the the nine eleven headline. America attacked. They're like Dow down seven hundred points. And that's exactly what mindful CBT is, which is a new form of CBT that combines the best of mindfulness as well as the best of what we know about CBT. So you can actually just... Yeah, somebody there. suggested mindfulness last night. Love it. Mindful... They, did, did they suggest mindful CBT specifically or just mindful? No. Okay, no. But CBT, when I heard, when I read that, that list of cognitive distortions, it was like, mm -hmm. oh, say no more. Yeah. And that's the thing that a lot of people are saying about this. The the my blocks thing is like, people are like, I I felt like you like you said exactly the way I feel because mm -hmm. it's like there's only so many programs that we have. Mm -hmm. As you you know, it's kind of like what your job is. Yeah, is to analyze and assess what program people are running and try to that's right figure out a, a way for them to either stop it or optimize it. That's right. Well, you're such an interesting cat. You obviously are incredibly successful, like having a Netflix special, two, you've had two Netflix specials and all the work you've done. Um, writing is 
is so impressive that you you clearly deserve the swag, more swagger. But what's interesting about you is that swagger would not be authentic to who you are because you do kind of, um, you don't like pretense and you don't like, uh, you know, there, there's a certain personality of you that um, in a way, just the more you embrace that, the more people actually like you. So you're so you're so interesting. <laughs> the swagger. Well, I well the yeah swagger. You could use more swagger. <laughs> I could talk about this endlessly, but it's people because of the way people heard about me or learned about me is I was uh, Dave's partner, right? Right. That's right. how most people think of me first. Learned about me. And as Dave's partner, the first thought is, there's no fucking way you wrote anything. Mm. So when I demand they acknowledge that I wrote anything or or sort of carry myself like I did the work that I did do, they don't, people resent it. Mm. And uh, like really Ben like slag me and, and they it becomes a racial thing pretty quickly. And mm. like I'm culture vulturing and it's like Dave asked me to do the show. So like, uh, I'm cultural vulturing and I'm pretending to be all these things, whatever. So I have to kind of play it small mm. in that regard. I hear you. Um, because people were like, you're so cocky. I'm like, okay, I, all right. I don't know. I, so so I, I have to play it small, even though I resent them saying that because <laughs> yeah. it's a sign of their disrespect. Yeah. Like you, you, you're cocky and you shouldn't be. And it's like, uh, okay. They call confident acknowledging things you've done. Or cocky is like, I did this thing. Like, stop talking about it. Okay. You're going to bring it up, but okay. I have a lot of defensiveness around that, obviously. No, I hear you. This is a, by the way, that's a, I mean, it's a fascinating question. Who deserves to be cocky? I mean, no, look, it, that brings up a lot of other things. But I don't think anyone who watches your documentary could possibly leave leave it, not documentary, listen to me, <laughs> watch your special uh, blocks, could possibly leave it thinking you're cocky. Like, you lay out- But that's the point of it. Oh. The point of these specials, the reason I do these, yeah. the, where I'm revealing, is because I read to people as cocky yeah. in an undeserved way. Yeah. Cold, superior, or bored. Or like flat affect. So part of it is specifically neutralizing that. Like where I'm going like, not only am I not cocky, let me bring you into my experience. Yeah. Well, wouldn't it be nice to get to a point someday in your career where you could just kill it comedically like you did uh, the first three-fourths without feeling any need for apology? I'm going to go, it's for the first four-fifths. Yeah, but, but, the, but you kill the whole thing and then you drop the mic and you finally feel complete. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's what we need to get you at is some days a, a point where you don't yeah. feel a need to less to, to lessen to yourself at all or to diminish yourself at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I hope I'm there. Me too. You know? Me too. Yeah. Well, let's so. leave. Let's leave on that note. Um, it really, really uh, an honor to talk to you, Neil, and I wish you all the best. Please, God, thank you, man. Yeah, and uh, and I'll send you some books <laughs> and stuff. I I I dare you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got it. Thank you. Thanks for the help, bro. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Psychology Podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com or on our YouTube page, The Psychology Podcast. We also put up some videos of some episodes on our YouTube page as well, so you'll want to check that out. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show, and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.